On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about denominations. We got a question that we want to ask, which I think is really a, a, a very important question. Oh, wait a minute. I got speakers running over here, We're Jacob. We're back a little on ourselves. Let me All come right. on here. Okay. All right. So it's going to be an important discussion yeah. about denominations. We want to talk about denominations. If I can get my speakers to be still here. Hang on a minute. That's all right. We're going to talk about denominations. Where do they come from? Why are there so many? And is what does it matter which one I'm a member of? Right. So we'll talk about that. It's going to be an important discussion. We're going to get started on it, hopefully, with just one of us talking right after this. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you to the virtual bible study for thursday october 8th 2020 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob Gwynn. my father greg Gwynn is here hello Deb. great to be with you jacob i finally got the speakers shut off on this Boy, machine i like hearing you once but not twice <laughs> uh kyle welcome to the program kyle's behind the board yeah, it's good to be here glad that you're here kyle glad that you're listening, and we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, or the best way, maybe the easiest way for you to comment tonight is in the chat room. Sign in and chat with other listeners on the program tonight. Yeah. A uh, little, little uh, housekeeping before we get to our topic tonight. Remember to get on our mailing list. If you're not, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and put in the subject line, add me to your list. I got an email from somebody today, or not today, but this week. And it was just a name. It, it, there was no subject and there was no text. It was just a message. And I assumed that that person probably wanted to be put on our list, and I put them on the They're list. They're on the list now. They're on the list now whether they want it or not. But do tell us in your subject line, add me to your list, and we'll do that. And you'll get updates from us on Thursdays about our topic for consideration uh, that night on the virtual Bible You're study. You're not going to spam up their inbox. No, we'll give, you, we'll give you that email every week and one other. On Tuesdays, we try to send out our church bulletin from Sunday, the previous Sunday, and uh, that's just in a in an email format, and, and uh, we think there are good articles there worth reading. Uh, so you get two emails from us a week, we, and we don't we won't sell that information. But, it doesn't know, go any farther no, than here. We're not we're not commercializing Your that secret's mailing list. safe with us. That's right. All right. So get on our mailing list if you're not. Get a get a bumper sticker if you want one. We'd love for you to stick a bumper sticker on the back of your car. So and, you're sporting and, a new bumper sticker tonight. Yeah, a new uh, uh, a different vehicle. I'm driving a different vehicle, and today, even today, I put a bumper sticker on it. Way to go. So. Um, uh, do that. Uh, like us on Facebook. Spread the word. Word of mouth. Tell others. Uh, the, the bigger the audience we have, we think the better the program is because we just get that much more feedback, and we, we like that. We think it makes it better. And you don't have to agree with us to listen. We want to hear from you if you disagree as well. We love to talk to folks about uh, our, our, the, our understanding of the Bible. Uh, even if it's a different understanding, so we can have a better understanding. And potentially clear up some of those differences. Absolutely. Uh, and that's really what we're going to be talking about tonight. One other thing before we get started, we're just right at two weeks away now from a, a, a short weekend gospel meeting we're going to have here at College View. 
It's the 23rd, Friday night, the 23rd, Saturday, the 24th, and Sunday, the 25th of October. Uh, so Friday night, Saturday night, our regular time, Sunday morning, and a 2.30 Sunday afternoon meeting. Uh, so we'll have five sermons there in, in pretty close uh, succession. Jim Deason from Coleman, Alabama, but who is well known in this part of the country. He used to actually be the preacher here at College View many years ago. Uh, and uh, so we're looking forward to having him here. You will not be disappointed if you come to hear him preach. If you're anywhere within a driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, plan to come for that weekend gospel meeting. All right. Is it on the homepage yet? It is. All right. Check you, out our homepage. If you go to collegeu.com, we've got an announcement of the meeting up there. Good deal. All right. Topic uh, tonight. All right. So the, the simple questions. We're asking two very basic, simple questions. Why are there so many denominations does it matter which church I'm in? Okay. To sort of introduce that topic, uh, you know, it used to be you could look things up in the Yellow Pages. I don't know that they even print a Yellow Pages book anymore. The last one I saw was pretty pathetic. Uh, it was, uh, but it used to be the, the you know, way. That was the way uh, to do it. That was your research tool yeah. if you're yeah. looking for something in the local community. So I've, I looked in an old copy of the Yellow Pages. Now, this is years old. Uh because, like we said, we're not, they're not doing that anymore. But in this old yellow pages, in the listings for Columbia, Tennessee, and we're, we're, we're not a huge town here. I mean, we, we probably, I think the population, probably close to 50,000 people in Columbia. So, like, I think our county maybe is approaching 100,000 people in our county. So we're not big. We're not real small, but we're not real big either. In that old Yellow Pages edition, there were three pages of church listings. There were 43 different religious categories. There were over 200 churches listed. Well, this is not a big town. And that just sort of tells you the wide diversity in the religious environment mm-hmm. uh, around us. If you go to a bigger city, uh, you're going to find you would find that that's even amplified more than that um, that being the case it's not surprising that people are confused i mean you're trying to come to an understanding of religious things and you got hundreds even in a small community you've got hundreds of different churches and they're all doing different things and they're all teaching different things and and so you can really imagine uh the confusion and thus why the question Why so many? Why Why are there so many? If I had to give a one-sentence answer to that question, we're going to dive into that rather deeply tonight, but if I was going to give a one-sentence answer to that question, I'd say it's because of what man has done, not because of what God has done. All right. uh, So, uh, you know, please understand that we see that all of this is a bad thing, not a good thing. I think a lot of people in our day and time... Just say, well, that's good, right? Uh, 200-plus churches in a small town like Columbia, Tennessee, oh, that's all good. It's not all good. And, and we really want to get that Let's point across. we got to get people to realize that this divided religious world that we are in is absolutely not the way it's supposed to be. And it's counterproductive to what Jesus wanted. Yeah. All right. So to our update list earlier today, we sent out these questions. Number one, what was the plan and prayer of Jesus concerning how many churches there would be? Number two, explain how many churches there were initially in the first century and how they operated. 
And we might just stop there. We got we got five six questions we want to deal with here, uh, but let's let's just take those first two things initially. Yep. Uh, do we know what Jesus wanted? Is is it understandable what he desired? Uh, was there a plan? You know, if if we if you look to a plan that people have, then you can understand something about the way things should be. I remember several years ago. Uh, we used to live in East Tennessee near the Smoky Mountains, and I remember an episode where some hikers got lost in the Smoky Mountains. Smoky Mountains National Park is a big place. There's a lot of yeah. trails in the Smoky Mountains, yep. and, and a person could get lost. The people who were lost had actually filed a a plan as to what they intended to do. In other words, they, they stated their, what their intentions were, and it affected the fact that they were easily found and rescued. Yeah. So if you have a plan in place, you go back and reference that plan and then sort of figure out where you're supposed to be. Jesus had a plan. You remember that old car that we were working on that time? And, and we had we got the drawings from the engineers who designed yeah. it. Yeah. And, 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 and we could we figured out exactly how the car should be put together. We yeah. did, I mean, the car was in pieces. But we had the plans. Yeah, we, we took that down all the way to the bare frame and put it back together because we knew how it was planned to be reassembled. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so what was Jesus' plan? He stated it in Matthew 16, verse 18. He had asked his apostles, who am I? Yeah. And they gave different answers. And then Simon Peter spoke up and said, thou art uh, the son of God. Yep. And Jesus said, I say unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, now we've talked about this before, the rock contextually was his identity as the only begotten son of God. Uh, he says, upon this rock, upon my identity as the son of God, I will build my church yep. and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, we could talk more about understanding that verse about the rock. That's, the, uh, Of course, some people have, have kind of got off track about the rock. That's really not our emphasis tonight. Our emphasis is on the next phrase. I will build my church. Notice he didn't say I will build my churches. He said I will build my church. He spoke of only one. It would belong to him. They yep. would, it would be mine. He said I right. will build my church. Yep. But we got to really stress that Jesus only ever intended to build one. That was his plan. And so, so he said, he said, I'm going to build my church. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to build, how many was it? 250 different? 200 right here in Columbia. But I'm, I'm going to build all these 250 I'm different I'm going to churches. build my churches. He didn't say that. I'm going to build my church. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that was his that was his plan. But wait, 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 wait. Maybe he just meant the church is sort of this umbrella of Christianity. And Well, I think that's what some people believe. Different flavor. Well, it's not what Jesus wanted. Yeah, because he went on to explain what this church would be like when he prayed to the Father. Uh, you know, uh, sort of the, the last words of a dying person are usually considered to be really important. Yeah. You know, if, if sort of deathbed statements, you know. Uh, You're hanging on every word. Yeah. And so if I'm on my deathbed and, and, I, and I say, I want Jacob to have my old truck. <laughs> Nobody should go against that. I mean, nobody would want to probably. But. Nobody would really want to. But can you imagine anybody saying, "I don't care what he said, I'm taking that truck, and Jacob is not getting it." Yeah. You know, no. If, if words spoken near death are taken to be very valuable and important, uh, 
What was Jesus? What was in Jesus' prayer just before he died? In John 17, beginning verse 20, he said, Neither pray I for these alone. He'd just been talking about his apostles. Mm-hmm. He says, Neither pray I for these apostles alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Well, wait a minute, that incorporates us too, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, that, would, that would encapsulate all believers. We believe on Jesus because of the words that the apostles taught. So he says, I'm praying for those who will believe on me through their word. What? That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, notice, he prayed that there would be one, that all all disciples would be one. Some people say, well, that's sort of, you know, that again, that's that big umbrella of Christianity. We're all under the, we're all one we're all under the big, um, yeah. we're all one under the big umbrella of Christianity. No, he actually explained what he wanted that oneness to be like. Yeah. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. How are the Father and the Son in regards to oneness or unity? Perfect harmony. Do they agree about about, baptism? They agree about everything. Do they agree about the second coming? Yeah. Do they agree about whether or not there ought to be a pope or not? Do they agree about how we should take the Lord's Supper? Yeah. They perfect agreement. They have perfect agreement. About it. They don't have any differences, no disagreements whatsoever. Can you imagine God and Jesus being on different sides of the aisle, maybe about women preachers or elders? Yeah. yeah Jesus is, thinks it's okay. God says, the Father says no. Can you imagine that? No. But, but, but people are saying, well, it's okay. We're all Christian. We're all we under have, this big Christianity. You believe what you want to believe by that. I'll believe what I believe. No, that's not like Jesus and the Father. There, There's even an expression that's been used. I don't hear it a lot anymore. But the, the, the idea was unity and diversity. We'll be one, but we'll be diverse. We'll claim we're one, but we'll all do different things. We'll all teach different things. That's not the unity that Jesus prayed for. Yeah. He prayed for a unity like unto the unity that exists between him and the Father, perfect unity. That's what he wants. And then notice he said that this would that, that, that this would help to accomplish. He said that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Really, when the religious world is divided, it prevents that. It confuses people. It keeps us from converting the lost of the world. Yep. Yep. And so, again... To that first question, what was the plan and prayer of Jesus concerning how many churches there would be? We've got the answer to that. That's right. Let's, our, let's right. look at our, real quick, let's look at our emailers. Bohan in Chicago says Jesus prayed for unity, that all his followers would be one. And Kent down in Georgia says Christ desired that all believers be one, John seventeen twenty and 21. He therefore established only one church comprised of all individuals who had been saved by obedience to the gospel, Matthew sixteen eighteen through 19. Matthew, Acts two forty seven, Ephesians two one twenty two and twenty three, Ephesians four four, Ephesians five twenty three. A lot of verses. We're going to look at some of those verses that can't reference there uh, as we go on. Let's get a break, program. and when we get back, we'll t- continue with the discussion. Uh, the the Hicksons out in California tonight. Eric and Brian are together, and uh, they reference Ephesians four verse five, one faith as, uh, and, as Ken did, and one body. One that body. text will go on to talk about one body. We're going to bring that in. Hang on to that, guys. We're going to bring that in. All right, we're going to get a break, and we'll be back right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Are you sure that the Bible said something, but you just don't know where? 
Is your salvation based on a passage that you know is in the Bible, but when asked, you couldn't find it? Do you do things in worship, but you couldn't turn to a book, chapter, and verse to show that God wants you to do it? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may be suffering from BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The College View Church of Christ is dedicated to overcoming Bible Deficit Disorder in the metro area by teaching the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. You are invited to attend our worship services on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Join us in the fight against Bible Deficit Disorder. Attend one of our services for a healthy dose of the Bible. That's at the College View Church of Christ. Please don't give in to Bible Deficit Disorder. Here's some quotes worth pondering. What you worship determines what you become. When you meet temptation, turn to the right. We cannot do everything at once, but we can do something at once. Postponed obedience is disobedience. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the virtual Bible study tonight as we look at why so many different denominations and does it really matter what church I'm in? We're looking at that on the program tonight. Okay. So we talked about what Jesus' purpose in prayer was. We're going to have to go a little bit faster here. We took the whole first segment on that first question. We're going yeah, to have to go a little faster. I thought you were a little ambitious with your questions tonight. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the second one. How many churches were there initially in the first century? We know that shortly after Jesus prayed that prayer, he was arrested, tried, crucified, but three days later resurrected. So he was crucified uh, on Pentecost. Uh, on excuse me, on Passover uh, weekend. Fifty days later, the Jewish Feast of Pentecost was observed, and Acts chapter 2 records what happened on that day. So Jesus died, was buried, resurrected. He ascended to heaven, and on Pentecost celebration time, the gospel was first preached in the city of Jerusalem. That that episode is recorded in Acts chapter 2. The first sermon is preached. The church was established. The saved were added to the church, Acts 2, verse 47 they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They had no creeds. Now, they were led initially by the oral revelation given to inspired men, like Peter and the apostles on Acts chapter 2 and for some time following. But over time, that inspired revelation became committed to writing. That is our New Testament that we have today. And, the, and that was the guide for the churches in the first century. They weren't guided by anything. There were no creed books. There were literally no creed books. Uh, th- there were no councils of men taking votes to determine doctrinal issues. They were guided by the inspired word of God. First, it was an oral proclamation. It ultimately became committed to writing. We still have it today in our New Testament. That was the rule of faith and practice for the first century church. They were all united in that. There was just one church. Yeah. They weren't following after different creeds and doctrines. Yeah. They were one. Yeah. And so we see that that's the way it was initially. We know that they were independent, autonomous congregations. There were elders in every church, Acts 2, verse 28, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2. Local congregations of God's people were independent and autonomous. There, there was no conglomeration of churches. There were no hierarchies of organization. They were local, independent churches under the leadership of their own eldership doing the work that God wanted them to do. That's the way it was. 
And that was actually in fulfillment of Jesus's plan and prayer. So Jesus said he was going to build his church. We see him building his church singular, and that's what it was in the first century. But maybe some diversions came. Yeah. Well, first of all, let's get let's see what our emailers said about that way it was initially, Jacob. Mohan in Chicago said there was one kind of church, and each ch- church had elders and deacons. They sang, preached, and had offering, and had the Lord's Supper. Not sure if there was one local church in each town. Please see if you can comment on this, and if our goal should be to have one Lord's Church in each city. Yeah, well, I, that's really a different subject than our discussion. In other words... Could there have been or would it be appropriate to have multiple faithful congregations in one given city? We don't necessarily read about that, but we don't read a prohibition about that. But let's reserve that question for one of our smartest board nights. There may be some evidence in the fact that some were meeting in houses, and so that that would limit the size, at least in my house. I don't know about yours. Yeah, Yeah, uh, you know my house. uh, We're not going to get that many people in. Yeah. we don't read about multiple congregations in any specific city. It's a good question, and I'm going to reserve that for consideration maybe in one of our smorgasbord-type studies. Could there, biblically, is it is it scriptural to have more than one congregation in any given city? Kent says, it is, in its universal extension, the church exists as one spiritual body, as noted by the scripture cited in question number one. Organizationally and or locally, Christians form various independent local autonomous churches to accomplish the works of evangelism, edification, and benevolence. There was no centralization in the work in that these local churches accomplished. Neither was there a general overseeing eldership over a collectivity of churches. Every local church accomplished the work that the New Testament authorized them to do under their own local oversight, First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Exactly right. Thank you, Kent. So they were all united, and they were doing what Jesus Jesus had prayed for, and and yet even even back then there was a hint of some division. Mm-hmm. And when Paul heard about the church at Corinth, they they, they were had little issues going. There was they were sort of trying to divide up. Yeah, they were sort of getting uh, factioned up here. Yeah, and he said to them, First Corinthians one verse ten, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. And so even when there was a hint of division, Paul said, stop that. Yeah. Stop that right now. That's not way. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Exactly right. Now, also now that that's the way it was at the beginning, uh, and Christianity in the first century demonstrated nothing like the division and multiple religious organizations that are in the world today. Just that little bit of hint of a, of of them being fractured there in in Corinth. Paul put an end to that. Yeah. He didn't say, "Well, it's okay." If if you like Apollos better, or you like Paul better, just you guys separate and do your own thing. No, he said, get it together. Yeah. So if that's it, why should we be happy with that today? Why should we be happy with all this religious division and differences when it wasn't true in the first century and and was clearly spoken against by inspired men? Yeah. Why should we be happy with it today? That's a good question to ask. All right. All right. So back to our questions. In our questions, we said, obviously, something changed. What were some of the early departures from the original pattern? Was such a departure foreseen or anticipated in any way? Uh, let's, let's stop there and, and deal with that. Well, after the first century, things began to change. Even in the first century. Even though, in the first in century. In the first century, things were changing. Look at how many false doctrines are addressed even in the New Testament. Yeah. With people who 
were contemporary with the apostles and even would have been around when Jesus was walking the earth. They're promulgating, whatever they're doing, they're they're propagating propagating these false doctrines that even that Jesus hadn't come in the flesh or that we needed to follow the law of Moses. Yeah. And so it, it started almost instantaneously. And I guess that's the devil at work trying to get people uh, to uh, divert from the plan that God has. Yeah. Paul said in Acts 20, verse 30, he, and, and the second part of that question, was such a departure foreseen or anticipated in any way? The answer is yes. Yeah. In Acts chapter 20, verse 30, Paul was speaking to some elders of a local church in Ephesus. And he said, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking for perverse things after them, or speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So Paul said, I know some bad things are going to happen. And, it, and he even said some of it will come from you elders in, in local churches. And that language here doesn't sound like it's 800, 900 years down the road. It happens like, it sounds like it's going to happen pretty immediately. Within the lifetime of those elders that he was addressing. Yeah, as soon as he, I mean, after his departure. Uh, so. in, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Paul says, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So uh, Paul said there's going to be a departure from the faith. And we know that that departure began. In other words, it was anticipated and we know that it began. Um, so we had elders in every church, but then maybe one elder in, in the church began to elevate himself. He might even come to be known as the presiding elder. Then he takes on more power. He, he becomes the bishop well, actually, the word bishop and elder are synonymous, interchangeable, but not, but not, not to these bishop. people. Yeah. But this guy is the bishop. And now he's not content to oversee just the work of one local congregation. He wants to oversee the work of other churches in that general area. Maybe the concept of a diocese yeah. develops. Then, so now you've got this this bishop who's overseeing all the churches in his given geographical area. But there's another bishop over here, and he's done the same thing in his geographical area. And so now they now they bring together a council of these bishops who are overseeing multiple churches within their given geographical region. Uh, uh, then maybe all of the bishops in a whole country come together and they and they appoint people over them, archbishops. You know, so you got the you got bishops, and then then you get archbishops. And then would it be a stretch of the imagination to explain that ultimately those archbishops all come together and appoint a head over them, and he is the Pope. Love. Now, that's that's this gradual departure from God's plan for the church. The, God's plan for the church, local, autonomous, independent, local congregations. But you see how that all began to grow in this hierarchy? Now, that didn't happen instantaneously. No. In fact, history tells us that the the first pope of the Catholic Church was ordained in 606 A.D. Boniface III was named the first pope of the universal or 
Roman Catholic Church. So it took about 600 years. It took about 600 years. Now, the Catholics want us to go back and believe that Peter was the first pope, and he clearly wasn't. We've talked about that before. We're not, we, can't, we don't have time to dive off too deeply into that. But, but history says that the Roman Catholic Church never became fully organized until 606 when Boniface III was named the first uh, universal pope. They didn't stop there. They kept changing things, not just organizationally, but doctrinally. In 590, I just got, I just picked out a few highlights of the, of some of the doctrinal departures of the Catholic Church. In 593, they developed the doctrine of purgatory. I think, we won't go into that, but I think just the mention of purgatory, a lot of our listeners will recognize. Transubstantiation was not, not taught or practiced doctrinally by the Catholic Church until 1000 AD. Transubstantiation that the elements of the Lord's Supper become the literal flesh and blood of yep, Jesus. Yep. This is one people would know. Did you know that the Catholics didn't demand celibacy of the priest until 1015? So the Catholic Church had been around for hundreds of years. Most people think, well, yeah, the Roman Roman Catholic priests have always been expected to be celibate. And that wasn't so. They changed that rule. Do you get the idea they're making up their own rules as they go along? First Timothy 4, as you read, uh, verse 1, beginning, talks about in the latter times, some would arise and forbid to marry, yeah. verse 3 of 1 Peter 4. That sounds, sounds sort of uh, ominous there, doesn't it? Uh, in 1192, the Catholic Church began the practice of selling indulgences. And the, the selling of indulgence was if you paid enough money, then you could be freed from the consequences of sins that you had committed. It, In other words, the consequences the, could be mitigated. Increase the bankrolls of the Catholic Church substantially. It wasn't until 1215 A.D. that the Catholics came up with the idea that you had to confess your sins. The idea of auricular, auricular, A-U-R, I-C-U-L-A-R, auricular, that's, that's a fancy word for in the ear. Yeah, you got to confess right into the ear of the priest. They didn't officially recognize sprinkling for baptism until 1311 A.D. Oh, wow. But you begin to see that, man, things are changing over time. They're changing, changing the organization of the church, changing the doctrines of the church. Hey, it's still happening in the Catholic Church today. Yeah. Big time. Uh, and so that goes to that question that we were asking Uh History says these changes ultimately led to the formation of the Catholic Church. When did this happen? What were some of the extreme doctrinal departures of the Catholic Church? What do our emailers say, Jay? So, uh, Kent, well, Mohan in Chicago goes back even farther. He says some departures were seen in Galatians where people tried to go back to the old law and also Hymenaeus putting people out of the church. So, as, yeah, as, as Mohan we said, said, even first as century. As we said, even in the inspired word, there was hints that this departure was going to happen. Yeah, and then Kent said the basic change was brought about by the centralization of oversight. Out of a plurality of elder elders, one elder was elevated over the others. The chief elder from the various local churches formulated a centralized control over local churches, which eventually grew larger and larger in time. Local churches lost their autonomy and independence. This, along with other doctrinal errors, was foreseen by the words of inspiration. He references Acts 20, 28 through 31. Eventually, overextended elders developed their unscriptural organization into bishops, cardinals, and eventually the pope. The climax of the change of organization took place in the early 5th century uh, 8400 to 404, there was an apostasy not only in organization but also in doctrine worship, infallibility of tradition, sprinkling and pouring for baptism, confirmation, the mass, the Eucharist, the cult of saints, clergy, laity distinctions, Christ mass, 
Ash Wednesday, Confession of Sins to the Priest, the usage of mechanical instrumental music and worship, the bishop or the burning of incense, veneration of Mary, an introduction of idols, the sale of indulgences, and many other apostate doctrines and practices. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. A long list there of things that the Catholic Church they changed that stuff. Okay, they changed that stuff. Now, what does that lead to? We need to take a a break. But when we get back, we talked about the, the ultimate formation of the Catholic Church and some of the extreme doctrinal departures of the Catholic Church, what did that lead to? Well, it's going to lead to the Protestant Reformation. We're going to talk about the the, the, the coming of the Protestant Reformation. Some brave back. folks said enough is enough. Yeah. We've got to do something about this. We'll talk about that when we get back. This week's Bullet Point, your comments during the break, and we'll be back right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwen with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of Doy Moyer. Religious division is a result of failing to do what the Lord says. It reflects an earthly mindset. The Apostle Paul told the factious Corinthians, quote, For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? That's in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 3 through 4. Look around. Hundreds of denominations exist. They call themselves after men or peculiar doctrines. They engage in a plethora of unauthorized activity because this is what they want. Focus is put upon the social or political. All of this is done supposedly in the name of Christ. However, the Lord says, quote, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter to the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Religion has become so feeling and emotion-oriented that to suggest that there are those who are practicing lawlessness in the name of Christ is to be mean-spirited and unkind. There's no such thing as false worship in today's society. Tolerance for all the various ways of serving God is the call of the day. Shame on us for suggesting that there's a pattern of authority for the worship and work of God's people. Frankly, with an attitude like this, we might as well write our own Bible. God's will is unity. We are to endeavor for it by following his plan in the scriptures, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. We are not at liberty to toss aside any of the teachings of the Bible, yet in order for denominationalism and division to exist, tossing aside what God says is exactly what's being done. It's no wonder that the world has responded with disbelief. See John 17, verses 20 and 21. Let's just do what God says. That may sound simplistic, but it is still the key to pleasing God and maintaining unity among believers. Let's be just Christians. It can be done. It must be done if we are to please God. May we all examine ourselves, our practices, and our doctrines and see if we are following God's will. It's in the book. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jim Meisner. I worship at the Church of Christ in Deckerville, Michigan. Be sure to listen to the virtual Bible study and watch it. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the program. I want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com and collegeview.com. Kyle, I haven't heard much from you tonight, but uh, you're doing a great job on the stream and then getting the, the videos out there. It's uh, on YouTube. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a little choppy the past few nights with our stream. Is they, like, YouTube changed a few things, so it was a little bit later getting started uh, on the College View live stream. But, yeah, we have some uh, 
definitely some studies going on right now. Our playlists are still growing, so it's tune in on Sunday mornings or come if uh, we obviously so have in person services. You've had so. some bugs to work out, huh? Yeah. You yeah. got them worked out? It happens. Okay. All right. <laughs> you, know, well, you told us last week, we didn't know you were dealing with some issues over yeah. there during the program last week. Yeah, Are uh, we streaming steadily it is, tonight? It is. It's right. going, yeah, last week it's we had, we didn't know. You and I didn't know, but Kyle was fixing a there. little hiccup over there during the program right. last Kyle's week. Kyle's at the helm. You don't have to worry. That's right. We He's under smooth control. sailing. All right. Okay. So we just talked about how the, the, there was this departure from the faith uh, that led to all kinds of abuses. The, the, the formation of the Catholic Church was not all, the only problem of just of the organization that's anti-biblical, but the doctrines they began to teach and practice were just, some of them became just completely outrageous, and yeah. especially one that seemed to really strike the nerve of some some serious you know sincere people was this selling of indulgences that 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 really that really struck a nerve that was a burr under the saddle so all of those abuses though led to what has been called the protestant reformation now that didn't begin until about 1500 in fact martin luther is credited with sort of kicking off the protestant revolution he sort of kicked off the Protestant Reformation. In 1517, he, ha, he wrote what he called the, his 95 Thesis. In other words, 95 of his grievances against the Catholic Church. And he took it and nailed it to the to Catholic Church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And that most people who study the history of all that say that was that. Now he's not the first one to begin thinking that way, but his action in nailing the the, the ninety five thesis to the church door was recognized as that that got the ball really rolling in what is known as the Protestant Reformation. Well, think about it. Protestant, Protestant, protest. What are they protesting? They're protesting the abuses of the Catholic Church. That's where, that's what the, people use that word all the time, maybe without recognizing what it means. They were protesting. They were Protestants. They were protesting. They were protesting the Catholic Church and its gross abuses. Yep. So, uh, there were a number of men, uh, some of the well-known names, if you study church history, Eurek Zwingli, John Calvin, John Knox, John and Charles Wesley. Those are some of the names that you read when you study church history. They were all in that Protestant Reformation that took place in Europe, starting in the early 1500s and running into the 17, almost into the 1800s. Different groups were breaking off. So obviously Martin Luther's followers became... Well, he didn't want them to call themselves after his name, but they did. They became Lutherans. They followed Luther. Uh, uh, King Henry VIII of England broke the Church of England off the Catholic Church, but his problem wasn't so much with the abuse of the Catholic Church. He just wanted wanted more abuses. (laughs) He wanted more abuses, but the Church of England started in 1534. Uh, The Presbyterians started in 1516. The Baptists in 1608. The Methodists in 1740. So over a period of about 200 years, a lot of what we now refer to as the mainline Protestant denominations began mm-hmm. in that Protestant Reformation time. Now, over uh, over the last 200 years, 
There have been even tremendously more churches begun. But speaking of the Protestant Reformation, again, I think we have to acknowledge that those guys were they were on the right track. It was a dangerous thing to do to stick. They were they were putting their lives at risk to oppose the Catholic Church, but they did. They realized that the Catholic Church had gotten far, far, far away from the Bible, from from the New Testament revelation. And they corrected some of those gross abuses of the Catholic Church, but they fell short because they didn't return all the way back to simple New Testament Christianity, the way that was described earlier in our program, the way it was in the first century when people were following the plan and prayer of Jesus. They didn't go all the way back. And really, because they didn't go all the way back, then they left the door open for new innovations to come in, and they have in in these mainline Protestant uh, uh, denominations. So they were reforming the Catholic Church, trying to make it better, but they didn't go back to the Scriptures all the way. And when you don't demand scriptural authority for everything, you can't demand it for anything. As you mentioned, they left the door open. Because yeah. they didn't, there were because there were inconsistencies with what the scriptures taught in those denominations. Yeah, and so if there's inconsistencies in certain areas, then people will push the limits and say, well, why can't we have inconsistencies in other areas? Why, if you don't have to follow the Bible in that teaching, why do I have to follow it in this teaching? And exactly. so we got all the divergent de- denominations today. Exactly right. Okay. Now, that of course that process has continued. Uh, in 2001. Of course, that's 20 years old nearly. Good boy. The World Christian Encyclopedia listed 38,000 religious denominations. Mm-hmm. So you see where it's led. Wow. All kind of the complete fracturing of the religious world. Yeah. Now, what separates, important question, what separates all these denominations? Well, they're separate. They're different in name, obviously, you, you can you can recognize the difference simply by observing that they go by different names, but they go by sound, different. That they, doesn't sound like Jesus' prayer in John 17. No. And they go by different creeds. They Again. follow different teachings. That's Again. what separates. That's why they're different. If they were all calling themselves by the same name and if they were all practicing the same doctrines, they wouldn't be different. Right. But human names and human creeds separate all the denominations. That's what's wrong with it. That's the problem. Uh, and uh, here's what Kent said about it. These were individuals who became, or there were individuals who became convinced that Roman Catholicism was sinful in organization, doctrine, and practices. While perhaps their intent was both good and sincere, they engaged in an attempt to reform the Catholic Church. This was the basic error of their religious thought. They needed to restore the New Testament Church in their own lives rather than to reform the Roman Catholic Church. Some of the prominent religious leaders in this Protestant Reformation movement and Protestant denominations that were developed were Martin Luther, who formed Lutheranism, uh, Eric Zwingli and John Calvin reformed Calvinism, John Knox, the Presbyterian denomination, Conrad Grebel and Thomas Munster, the Anabaptist movement, Minno Simmons, the Mennonite movement, Henry VIII, uh, the Anglicans and Church of England, John Smith, the Baptist, other groups were formed in latter years and even continue today. All these groups teach conflicting doctrines and promote unauthorized religious divisions. Exactly right. Okay. Uh, and that was the last part of that question we were asking. Uh, how, how are these denominations different? Different in name and doctrine. And that's not the unity that Jesus prayed for, and it's not the reality of what existed in early Christianity in the first century. All right. 
And the, and and so again, I, I I would reiterate what Kent said there. These fellows, I think they were on the right track, and they had some sincere desires to make things right. They just didn't go back far enough. And and of course, it just has led to even more fracturing of the religious world. We got to go all the way back to the original plan and prayer of Jesus. If we're going to get past this issue of denominationalism, actually, you think about and again, I think people use this word denominationalism without even realizing what there's what the word means. Denomination, that word means division. Remember back in grade school when we were taught fractions, the top part of the fraction was the numerator. The bottom part of the fraction was the denominator. And in a fraction, the denominator divides like if you have the fraction three over four. That actually represents the mathematical calculation of three divided by four. The denominator, the divider. Denominationalism, the name itself means division when the Lord didn't want division and the scriptures condemn division. And we need to comment just briefly before our break about this, the idea of these creeds and these uh, religious organizations. The creeds themselves are promoting the division. That that is the problem. As you mentioned, if we were all playing by the same rules, we would be together. But the the fact of the matter is the creeds don't align. They don't align with each other, and they most importantly don't align with the Bible. And when we have that, then that's the recipe and, and, the, and the fertile ground for what we have in the religious world today. Why all of the creeds? You know, there was a... There was a um, a guy I knew not too long ago who was upset about uh, his church uh, began to accept uh, uh, the homosexuality and and promoting that and and he thought that's not scriptural and he and some others left and start and started a new group which was right on they need to get away from that but the first thing they did was they wrote a constitution yeah uh, they wrote their own rules they wrote some, why 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 in the world you just saw what it had done. When you start making your own rules and you can make rules up that aren't in line with scriptures and you leave that and you make your own again, it just is a recipe for disaster. Exactly right. All right. We'll get a break and we'll get back. What's up? Well, when we get back, we've got a couple of questions we want to go to quickly. Would it be possible to return to the original pattern as it existed in the first century? How could this be done? And has anyone ever tried to do that? And finally, should we be satisfied with the divided denominational world? Does it matter? In other words, does it matter what church I belong to? All right, we'll get that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Warning, this is to make you aware of a disorder plaguing American and the metro area, BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. Many people are not getting enough Bible in their daily lives. Are you? Answer the following questions to see if you might be suffering from BDD. Do you answer spiritual questions by saying, I think, instead of the Bible says? Do you depend on religious authors and pastors to tell you what to believe? When Benny Hinn says, this is your day for a miracle, do you believe him? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you might be suffering from BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. The College View Church of Christ is dedicated to fighting BDD by teaching the Bible. We focus on Christ by following his word. Don't succumb to BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. Fight it by joining us for Bible study on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. As long as there is breath in your body, it is not too late to fight Bible Deficit Disorder. We'll see you this Sunday at the College View Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. 
A recent survey indicates that 40% of Americans believe the Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. Only 51% of Americans said abortion is a sin, and more than a third of Americans, 38%, believe gender identity is a matter of choice. That information is via baptistpress.com. The Word of God says in Isaiah 5, verse 20, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program and going to the top of the hour as we talk about uh, why are there so many denominations and does it matter which church I belong to? All right. You know, there's maybe a little bit different. I want to, real quickly, I want to look at this whole question a little bit differently. Uh, when Jesus taught the parable of the sower, he said something interesting in Luke chapter 8, verse 11. He said, the seed is the word of God. Yeah, That's yeah. significant. The seed, the word of God is a seed. You know, when you plant seeds, you always get the same. If you plant the same seed, you get the same plant every time. Yeah. In other words, if you, if you take corn, every time you plant a kernel of corn, you get a corn plant. Mm -hmm. You don't get a bean. You don't get a rutabaga. Mm -hmm. You get a corn. Yep. That's right. a good thing. So that, yeah. Farmers would <laughs> be in want trouble. Don't rutabaga in my garden. <laughs> yeah. Now, so if you plant just the simple word of God, every time you plant it, you get a simple New Testament Christian. Mm -hmm. But if you add to the scriptures the Methodist discipline, then you get a Methodist. You don't just get it. Now, the Methodist says he's a Christian, but he'll even say, I'm a Methodist Christian. The reason he's not just a simple New Testament Christian is because he's added the Methodist discipline. If you take the the Word of God, the seed, but you add the Baptist, the Baptist manual that dictates how Baptist churches are to operate, then you get a Baptist. You don't just get a simple New Testament Christian. You get a Baptist Christian. And he would say he's not a Methodist Christian. No, I'm not a Methodist. No I'm way in the world. I'm a Baptist Christian yeah, yeah. because he's added something to the seed. If you take the Bible... And you add the Book of Mormon. If you take the seed, which is the Word of God, that's what Jesus said in Luke 8, verse 11. If you take the seed, but you add the Book of Mormon, now you get a Mormon. You don't get a New Testament Christian. You get a Mormon. Uh, uh, so, again, answer to the question, why are there so many churches? Because of man's additions and his changes from God's design and will. If everybody was still just teaching and practicing the New Testament, We'd still just all be simple New Testament Christians like they were when the church first began in the first century. All right. Uh, now, could could we go back? Uh, could we go back? Yeah, we could go back. The, the question asked was, would it be possible to return to the original pattern as it existed in the first century? Well, yes. And how would you do that? Well, you would go back and just take the Bible. You would take the Bible... Uh, in regards to the name that we wear. They weren't called Baptist in the first century. They weren't called Methodists. They weren't called Lutherans. They weren't called Presbyterians. They were just called Christians. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch, Acts chapter 11, verse 26. So we'd all go by the same name. You know, they started calling themselves different names there in Corinth, as you mentioned. I'm yeah. of Paul. I'm of Apollos. No. Was, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Yeah. And he said, no. The uh, rhetorical questions, obvious answer, no. You, Christ died for you. You were baptized in his name. You're a Christian. Quit yeah. calling yourself by other names. So we could go back to just calling ourselves what, they, what we should be, and that is Christians, not Methodists, not Baptists, not Mormons. We would have to go back and be organized the same way those first congregations were organized that was with elders 
a plurality of elders overseeing each local congregation independent of any others no hierarchy of organization first no, peter chapter 5 talks about that no no regional diocese no nationwide uh, conference no worldwide headquarters that's not biblical we'd have to get rid of that right we'd have to go back and worship the same way they worshiped the worship of New Testament churches very simply was that they would sing, no instrumental music. They would offer prayers. There would be teaching. There would be the weekly observance of the Lord's Supper. There would be contributions or giving five acts of New Testament worship. That's what we read in our New Testament. That's what they did. And then the work of churches would have to be the same. They would evangelize the lost. They would edify the saints. They would uh, provide ben- a limited role in benevolence for for those needy among their numbers. That's what the church would, that's how we could do it if we went back to that simple New Testament pattern. So the question is, would it be possible and how could it be done? That's how you would do it, right? If we wanted to be a church just like the church you read about in your New Testament, then we'd have to go back and be just like that church. That's, that's not, I mean, it's not rocket science here. That's how you would do that. The follow-up question was, has anybody ever tried that? Mm. And the answer is yes. So we talked about the Protestant Reformation in Europe beginning in the early 1500s and running through the mid-1700s. Later, in both America and in Europe, there was another movement. And it wasn't called the Reformation Movement. In other words, it wasn't an effort to reform anything. It was the Restoration Movement. It was an intention to restore the New Testament church in our in our time. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there was. In Europe and in, in America, there was a restoration movement, which began in the early to mid-1800s and continues to this day with people who are just trying to follow the New Testament pattern. All right. Absolutely. Um, here's what uh, Kent said about it. He said, it is, indeed possible to, it is indeed possible to return to the original New Testament pattern as it existed in the first century. Such can be accomplished by careful study and application of the New Testament scriptures and reasoning correcting by, correctly by accepting inspired statements, honoring New Testament examples and divine implications that we necessarily infer by logical deductions. Various individuals in different parts of the world, especially in Europe and the United States, have attempted this goal without even being aware that others were doing the same. Not all of these individuals became Christians, and not all of those who did so uh, become such consistently followed their goals. However, such demonstrates that such can be accomplished. And so yeah. Kent says, you know what we need to do is we need to study the New Testament and apply it and live by it, which is really what... We all ought to be doing. I mean, this isn't some kind of new concept that you ought to read the Bible and do what it says. You know, you didn't need somebody to make a movement to start that. That's what we all ought to be doing. Uh, And if we will do that and we'll be consistent in it, we will all uh, be doing and practicing the same thing. Yeah. DC Bus in the chat room says, unfortunately, the imperfection of man will always create error in the local churches. And and we've got to constantly be on guard. You're never going to be able to let down your guard because, as as DC Bus says, there's going to we're imperfect creatures, and we're going to we got to be careful not to corrupt the simple teaching and pattern described in the New Testament. It's very possible, as we said, the Apostle Paul knew it would happen shortly after he left yeah. in certain places. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, just just a, a simple word here. We got, we're going to have to hurry, but some of those restorers that we mentioned included a man named Alexander Campbell. Alexander Campbell was one of those who who was a, a restorer, trying to restore the New Testament church and and the pattern of work and worship for the church. 
Alexander Campbell was just a mortal man. He wasn't an inspired man, and he was a fallible man, and he wasn't right about everything. Alexander Campbell had his error. A lot of times, Churches of Christ are credited to having been organized or, or begun by Alexander Campbell. We don't follow Alexander Campbell. He was a restorer. He understood this principle. If we're going to get right, we've got to get all the way back to the New Testament. But he was off on some points, and we know he was. We don't follow. We, we owe no personal allegiance to Alexander Campbell or any of the other reformer or restorers. We just say they were on the right track. we got to go all the way back. Right. Okay. All right. You have one more question to ask. The final question is, should we be satisfied with the divided denominational world? Does it matter what church or denomination I'm a member of? What should I do? Well, in answer to that first part, I would say, should I be satisfied with the divided denominational world? If you are, then you are you are actually satisfied to not be doing what Jesus prayed for in his dying wishes. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to be there. I don't want to say, hey, well, Jesus prayed this, but I don't really care what Jesus prayed for. I'm going to go ahead and do what I, I shouldn't want. want or try to work toward unity among the believers. Ah, it's okay. We're fractured. Kyle believes something. I believe something 180 degrees opposite of that. That's okay. No, I'm not. I don't have. It the should same, matter I, to us. I don't have the mind of Christ in that area. It should matter to us for the singular reason that Jesus prayed for what we ought to be doing. And when we accept and are happy with denominationalism, we are going directly against the prayer of Jesus. Okay, that ought to be reason enough that it does matter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so. Does it matter which denomination I'm a member of? Well, if you're going to be a part of a denomination, I suppose one's as good as another. If they're not going to, if you, if they're not going to follow the New Testament pattern, then I suppose one is as good as another. If they, if they are purposefully not aligning with the simple New Testament pattern for the work and worship of the church, then one's as good as another, I suppose. But it should matter what I should do. And the last question is, what should I do? I should try to find. A group of people who are committed to doing just what the New Testament teaches. Okay, and 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 not all not all groups are purposely doing that. I mean, we need to make sure we're clear on that. There there are sincere people who. Oh sure. Sincere people, but the, what we have to do is we've got to get back to the scriptures. We got to lay aside the denominational creeds and and names and organizations, and we got to say, you know what? What matters is what God said. And let's get aligned with it. And let's stop getting aligned with our denominational organization. Let's stop worrying what our church says, what our church teaches. What does the Bible teach? And that's what we're, we've got. we're going to demand that. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, again, and I think the point you make there is really important to be stressed. For instance, when we were talking about the Protestant reformers, uh, I think those, those, some of those were really good people with, with sincere intentions. I think they missed it a little bit, but we're not we're not casting off on them personally. We think that they missed it in their in their approach to this denominational problem. In the, I I know many, and you do, and we all do know many good, sincere people in all kinds of different religious denominations. But sincerity is not the acid test. We should be sincere. Everyone needs to be sincere and genuine. But we got to be basing our practice upon. New Testament authority. All right. Uh, here's what uh, well, here's what Kent said. We should never be satisfied with Roman Catholicism, Protestant denominationalism, or the cults. All these groups constitute false religion. Matthew fifteen thirteen through fourteen. 
We all need to remember that the seed of the kingdom, which is the New Testament church, is the word of God, Luke 8, verse 11. If we accept, obey, and be faithful to this word, we will be Christians, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. We will then be members of the church of Christ. The church that belongs to Jesus. That's actually what not a church denomination. of Christ means. Not a denomination. Church of Christ means the church that belongs to Jesus. Yeah, right. It's not a denomination. It's his church. And Mohan said, no, we should not be satisfied since there are no denominations in the Bible. It does matter what church we belong to. Some of the liberal churches of Christ may believe that if there's no church of Christ in, in your area, just attend the next best one to be under the hearing of the word. He says that's bad advice. You know, we ought to wrap up here with what Jesus said about this in, Ma- in Matthew 7. He should talk about sincerity. Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And some are saying, lawlessness. The well, newer not, versions will say lawlessness. You're not, you're not following what I said. You're not following the law. How can I be your Lord if you're not doing what I said? Now, they're doing it, they're doing it sincerely, but they're not doing it like he said and jesus said i'm not happy with that yeah and he I, I, I think that's a good passage because it actually described what appears to be some good sincere people but they were off they weren't following the law that jesus set and therefore they were condemned kyle final thoughts from you tonight yeah i think we gotta lay aside our pride i think because sometimes it's like what we've been taught for years what we've been studying for years that's a danger for all it of us can kyle. Be, we can be wrong any of us can, can be, be. any of us and, can be so we make sure we read the Bibles, lay aside our church manuals, and don't compare apples. Compare apples to apples, yes. What does your Bible say to what does your church manual say? Lay aside our pride and our own think-sos and just, yeah, do what the Bible tells you. It's a very simple idea. You just got to apply it. I, I think you're exactly right, Kyle. It's a simple idea. Let's do it. Okay. Not always easy. No. But it is what we've got to do. If we're going to call Jesus our Lord, we've got to do what he said. And he told us what to do. In the Bible, not in any kind of manual or creed of a denomination, but he told us what he wants in the Bible, in the New Testament, and we need to be committed to doing just that. Yeah. All right. Uh, DC Bus says, our, our salvation is not tied to any organization. Our church is absolutely important for our edification. And uh, we are supposed to be in a group of believers for our edification. Yeah. Um, but if we're having fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, uh, if we're having fellowship with those who are teaching error, then we need to be careful. We need to be getting out of that and, and, relationship. And the church is part of God's plan. Remember in Acts 2, we talked about the early church. They asked, what must I do to be saved? They were told to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. But Acts 2.47 says the Lord added to the church such as were saved. If you're, if you're saved by obedience to the gospel, by simple obedience to the gospel, then the Lord adds you to his one true church. That's the church. That is important. Jesus died to purchase his church, okay. Ephesians chapter 5 says. All right. Good discussion tonight. And uh, we would welcome our listeners, uh, if there are any questions, send us an email to questions at college at any time. And uh, we would welcome your, your questions, your comments. We'd want to hear from you. And Mohan, I'm going to circle your question for discussion in the future about it's could on. there be more than one congregation in a given city your question got promoted to the stack yeah all right dad thanks for the time tonight thanks Jacob. thank you for listening hope you benefited from our study discussion of god's word hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the virtual bible study in the meantime we encourage you to put god first in your life study his inspired word the bible live by it every day you'll never regret it 
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.